I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Hey, welcome to Emotional Management. It's your weekly checkup from the neck up. I'm Dr. Christian Conti. I'm excited to be back on the air. I've been gone for a couple of weeks now. I was traveling. Um... We did some football here at the station and uh, been doing some trainings. I do trainings for my yield theory, and I travel to do those, so um, I'm, I'm on the road a lot. But I had some wonderful training, some really good experiences, got to watch people experience pretty tremendous personal growth, and that's always fantastic. And that's what we're aiming to do here on the show tonight. We're looking for personal growth, for awareness, because we're all going through things. We're all going through things. Maybe you're struggling and you would like some insight. 866-391-1020 is the number. If there's anything that you're going through, here's the message I'd like you to hear. You don't have to go through it alone. I think a lot of times we get lost in our minds and and there's an infinite amount of possibilities and, and in an infinite amount of directions our minds can go. And so we get lost oftentimes in the labyrinth of our own minds, and sometimes in all that chaos, we really feel overwhelmed. But you're not alone. It can feel alone, but you're not. I want you to be able to call. If you want to talk, 866-391-1020. I love doing this show. I don't think there are enough um, mental health shows out there, not enough mental health resources out there. And, of course, this isn't a clinical uh, session, but there's great information that we talk about on this show that sometimes that's all we need is to get a little insight, a little bit of perspective. And I always advocate that you get out and talk to a counselor. I don't think there's a substitute for sitting down one-on-one with a mental health specialist, counselor, social worker, psychologist, marriage and family therapist. If you can get out and talk to someone, that's excellent. Because, again, when you start to talk about whatever's going on inside of you, you kind of crystallize it. So when you think about it, how big is anxiety or how big is anger or how big is depression? It's overwhelming. But when you can talk about it, hey, this is what's really bothering me. Hey, when when this is the struggle I'm having with these people, the moment you talk about it, you crystallize it. And the wonderful thing about crystallizing those psychological concepts is now they're manageable. Now we have a space to work with. So... If you, when you start to say what's going on inside of you, sometimes you realize that you might make things bigger in your own mind. And that's not a negative at all. The reality is that oftentimes very intelligent people, very creative people create bigger issues in their minds because they're not talking it out with others. And so they're allowing their minds to go on a, just a downward spiral. And my goodness, can that take us to some deep places, some dark places? And speaking of dark places, it's getting dark much earlier now at this time of the year. And when the seasons change and when it gets dark early, there is a tendency for people to struggle emotionally. 
I mean, think about it. If it's bright and, and sunny and hot, it's easy to go outside for an extra walk or go do some yard work or just step outside into the sun and feel a little bit of light. But when it's dark early, when it's cold, when it's rainy and dreary, sometimes that can impact us. And that's okay. That's not wrong or bad. It's just natural. But when the weather, when the seasons impact you, it's important to be able to talk about that. It's important to be able to make a strategy for what you can do. And tonight we're going to talk about just that. If you're struggling with any kind of sadness around the time of year, Now, maybe it has to do with the weather. Maybe it has to do with staying indoors more or just seeing that, you know, dark later in the morning and dark sooner in the evening. But maybe it has to do with the holidays. And, you know, I have a really important question that I I brought in tonight that says uh, a lot of this... uh, A great person reached out to me and said, A lot of friends have been telling me lately about sadness around the holidays due to the loss of loved ones, recent and remote. What kind of insight do you have around this? I just think it's a great question, and we're going to talk about that tonight because many of you out there have lost someone who is very meaningful to you. And sometimes for the holidays, whereas maybe for some young children, the holidays are super exciting and, and, and all fun and positive, and that's would be a blessing, hopefully, for young people to be able to experience that. But for for many people who are older, for those of us who've gone through life for some time now, we're bound to have lost some people along the way. And sometimes when you lose someone along the way and a holiday comes up, instead of looking forward to that holiday, you dread it. You think, oh, no, this is going to bring stuff up. But is there anything that can be done? Well, I believe that there is, and that's why I want to talk about tonight. So, again, whatever you're struggling with, please feel free to call in 866-391-1020. This show is called Emotional Management. It's all about trying to handle the emotions that we experience uh, on the daily. See, I think in oftentimes in school we, we teach some really important, powerful subjects, but do we really teach our young people how to handle their emotions? I think that's an element or a class that seems to be lacking a little bit. And, and that's why I love being able to offer this show. Because in conjunction with KDKA, we're offering something to say, look, if you're struggling, you're not alone. There's a space to talk about what's going on with you. 866-391-1020 is the number. And I, I think the, the key is this. is courage. It's looking inward and saying, you know what? I know that I'm struggling with this. I want to say it, and I'm afraid of what's going to happen if I say it out loud. But how many times have we felt that in the past, and then we said something out loud, and then we think, oh my goodness, I'm so thankful that I said that. So even tonight, even if you have an experience where you once held things in, but then you were able to get them off your chest, and you felt a lot better doing that, I'd love to hear from you because I think our listeners would really benefit from knowing that when you get stuff off your chest, it sure makes things lighter for you. You know, the whole concept of compassion, compassion means suffering with someone. And having compassion sometimes means being able to be there to help you carry the load. Whatever you're struggling with, whatever you're carrying, you don't have to carry it alone. I'd love to help you. 866-391-1020 
is the number. And, and we're going to come up with some solid strategies for how, if you're struggling in this season, how can you get through it? How can you handle your day-to-day in the most effective way possible? Or maybe we talk about today, we will also talk about today, if you're dealing with the loss of a loved one. Maybe it's recent, maybe it's from a while ago, but it still impacts you. Well, this is the place to talk about it. 866-391-1020. I'm Dr. Christian Conti. This is Emotional Management on KDKA Radio. Welcome to Emotional Management. Listen, I know you have a lot of options in life to listen to a lot of different things, so I just want to say thank you for tuning in to this show. I love what I do, and I love the chance to be able to do this show um, and reach people and talk with so many different people and connect with so many different people. So I love it. I'm Dr. Christian Conti. It's emotional management. The number is 866-391-1020. would love for you to be a part of the show. So when it comes to the season, but especially the season that we're in now, when it gets dark early, when it's cold, when it's dreary out, you know, sometimes like on a day like this in what southwestern Pennsylvania, it kind of looked like it was night all day today with the darkness. And um, that can be challenging for, for all of us. It can be challenging. I was talking to a guy uh, last week who seems to, was, seems to fit under the category of what's called seasonal affective disorder. But at the moment that someone else in the, in the small group setting even brought it up, he said, nah, I don't, I'm not all that. That's not all that. And so I know a lot of people sometimes just really don't like labels. They don't like the idea that potentially they could fall under the category of a diagnosis. First of all, I'd love to say that, you know, if I could reach in your heart and have you understand that the idea behind a diagnosis is to be able to create a pretty clear treatment plan and to be able to give you kind of tried and true methodologies that seem to really help people get through or handle those diagnoses. So it's not wrong or bad. I I don't think there's something wrong with you if you are diagnosed with something. I think, if anything, what it does is it says, look, let's just put um, a a clarity to what's going on inside of you so that you can handle it in the most effective way. But let's throw out for a moment, let's just throw out, what if there were no diagnoses? What if there were no names to anything we were experiencing? Well, even if there were no names, there would still be a sense of sadness. There would still be a sense of maybe not sleeping well or sleeping too much. There would still be a sense of sometimes either a loss of appetite or a gain in appetite. Now, I can hear the most skeptical person out there say, oh, my goodness, doesn't that doesn't that encompass just about everything? You have a loss in appetite, an increase in appetite, a loss of sleep, an increase in sleep. And it does. And that can be off-putting when you think, well, how is this anything real if it could be just generally anything? But here's the essence. When you're off, when you're off, when your body's off, when your mind is off, in the sense that it's causing you angst, it's causing you internal turmoil, well, then that's the indicator right there. That's a, That's an indicator. Um, the physical attributes, sleeping too much, not sleeping enough, those kinds of things can be tells. They can kind of be almost uh, uh, blinking lights to say, hey, check this out, check this out, pay attention to this. But if we did throw out the diagnosis, even if we threw out the name of it, here's what I would want you to pay attention to. If you're finding a loss of enjoyment in things that you usually enjoy, well, there's probably a reason for that. And, and it could go a little deeper. So I'd love for you to reach out and talk to someone 
I think sitting down with a professional in your area is ideal because professionals are trained to be able to guide you through that stuff. But I always say, so if you listen to the show a lot, you know my tagline is there are two kinds of people in the world. There are people who have issues and dead people. And I think as long as you're alive, you have issues. So do I. We all do. But if we look at life on a continuum, then it's not so black and white, not either or. It is simply a continuum. There are varying degrees of particular behaviors. And so maybe the sadness that you feel inside is not the the type that could fit into a category of a diagnosis, but it's enough to bother you. It's enough to interrupt your daily functioning. And if you're experiencing that, well, my goodness, let's talk about it. Let's talk about it here, 866-391-1020, or let's talk about it with you going and sitting down and talking to someone in your area about it. Because keeping it inside, it can eat us up. And again, it's because our mind, and this is true, especially very creative people, we create even more um in some ways, fantastic stories, and sometimes not fantastic in a good way, internal stories about what's going on. And we project that out onto the world. You see, if you're not feeling good about what's going on inside, then you're likely seeing a lot of not good outside. Think about that. If you feel awful, if you have a stomach ache and you feel awful, you're likely to look at the world through the eyes of a stomach ache. And then when you don't feel well, you start to see things that aren't good, which then compounds how you feel. It creates a, a, a confirmation that this heaviness inside is, is real. Because, hey, look, I can pinpoint these examples in the outside world. But when we talk about stuff, when we're able to say it, again, it crystallizes, it makes it real, tangible. It makes it tangible. And when it's tangible, we can we can deal with it. So... Let's talk about if you, maybe it's around sadness, maybe it's around the time of year, but what do you do? So I think one of the primary things you can do is connect with your purpose. This is something no matter where you are in your life, you could be sitting down in a chair, you could be talking about running a marathon, it doesn't matter what you're doing physically, connecting to your purpose to the, to the essence of what you are here to do, when you connect with that purpose, it alivens you, it awakens something in you. And you don't have to be in any particular spot in life to connect with your purpose, because sometimes when you connect with your purpose, that will lead you to where you will be in the most effective spot possible for yourself. Connecting to your purpose. So how do you do that? Well, think about even from, a ch- from childhood, what interests you? What is it that you wanted to do with your life? What, what, in what ways do you want to impact the world? Now, maybe it's not the way you thought you were going to impact the world. Maybe it's a different way. But the reality is that as long as you are alive to your very last breath, you have an opportunity to impact the world. And sometimes people say, well, I can't change the whole world. I remember years ago, uh, I was a professor, and I gave my students a personal challenge. I would give them a personal challenge at the end of every class. Well, one class I said, all right, so here's your personal challenge for the week. I want you to go out and change the world. So that next week, I had a bunch of counseling students in the class, but I had one business student in the class. He wasn't even a, a regular counselor. He just was interested in taking the course. So the next week... 
I, when the students came back, I would always start off by saying, hey, how did you do on following through with the challenge? So the vast majority of the class said, we thought you were joking. You said, go change the world. And they said, now, you know, we're not going to do anything. Well, this other student, he was the only one who took on the challenge. He said, I'll tell you what I did. It was, there was a professional football game, and in that game that week, a referee made a bad call, and they couldn't overturn that call. I think it was Denver and Oakland, but I could be completely wrong. Um, and so anyway, the ref made a wrong call, and gosh, he couldn't take it back, couldn't change it. It's probably before replay stuff uh, with, with this, because this was many years ago. So this ref was getting hate mail all over the place. I can't believe you did this, blah, 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 blah. Well, here's what my student did. He came back and he said, I took on your challenge. I called, I emailed that ref and I said, listen, man, we all make mistakes. Everyone does. Don't beat yourself up about it. Hope you're doing okay. Well, that ref, Ed Hockley, got back to my student and said, I have literally received thousands of mail, hate mail. Yours is the only positive mail I got. He said, I'm responding to everyone but I want to tell you how much it means to me that you took the time to reach out and say this. And I said, my man, that's it. That is 100% was the assignment to change the world. The world exists all around us. Changing the world doesn't mean you have to uh, build a bridge from one country to the next. It doesn't mean that you have to swim across. It, whatever it is, it doesn't have to be so giant. It could be being kind to the people right around you. Because the ripple effect of that behavior goes wider and deeper and farther than we can ever really truly realize. Just like he did that day. He changed the world. That's something that we can do when we connect with our purpose. And my goodness, I believe you have great purpose. 866-391-1020 is the number if you want to talk about it. I'm Dr. Christian Conti on KDKA Radio. We're back. It's emotional management. I will never get tired of the lead-in music. I love it. I get pumped up for that. I appreciate that. Um, it's exciting. And you know what? I think talking about emotions is exciting. I think we we don't talk about it enough, and we think, oh, I can't talk about this. Just emotions. Come on. Listen, we all have emotions. We all struggle with stuff at times. If you're struggling with something, you want to talk about it, 866-391-1020. Maybe you want to give insight. Maybe you have a family member who you really want to help. And whatever you're doing, you just feel like you're you're talking to a brick wall. And it just it feels like you're not getting through in any way, shape, or form. And maybe you'd like some insight on how you can speak to your loved one in a way that can kind of break through. 866-391-1020 is the number. 866-391-1020 is the number. So... It, we're talking about right now, uh, I want to come back to that original question from Jen at the beginning. It said, a lot of friends have been telling me lately about sadness around the holidays due to loss of loved ones, recent and remote. What kind of insight do you have around this? Um, such a powerful question, and so many people are dealing with this. Look, when we, the, the holidays, one of the reasons why we have that sadness around losing a loved one is because... We've obviously had beautiful memories with them when they were here, and now it's we miss them, and that's hard. But I think not talking about it, not trying to act like that's not happening, it doesn't make it go away. When you have someone in your life that you've lost, 
And you think, well, you know, I've, I've worked with people in therapy before where they've said, you know, I dread the holidays because this is the time of year where my mother or father died, and, and it just makes me think of it every time. But that's because you're, right now, you're focused, and if you're in that kind of spot, you're focused on that the final moment or those moments where the person's gone versus all those beautiful memories that person helped create with you. And so it's really a matter of our focus. What are we concentrating on? I was super, super close with my uh, my grandma who passed away December 2nd, 1995. You can remember it like it was yesterday. Of course, I miss my grandmother. But I still, I in my in my own way, still have conversations with her. And, and I choose to honor that memory by thinking about the positive things and thinking about in my own belief system that she's still with me, that she's still, you know, it's watching over me. And that, that to me is a helpful way to get kind of get through but i think in our own family in our own family we've lost some loved ones who we're very close with my wife and daughter and i we've lost we've lost people in our our families from from uh parents and uh, from my wife's father to uh our, our grandparents and it's it is sad but one of the things we've been doing recently uh thanks to my wife is taking moments to really honor them and talking about them and like bringing bringing in those moments whether it's when you're decorating a tree and you pull out a picture or whether or not you just really just concentrate on some of those fun memories around them and in that way you celebrate their lives rather than focus on the death or focus on the absence of them in this moment so I think that's one way you can really tap into shifting the way you experience the holidays if you're missing someone you love. Of course, it's painful, and sometimes you need to just get that out and say, you know what, it's painful, and I'm thinking about it right now. But when we get caught up in that and we don't choose to move on, then one of the things to think about, and I think this is a powerful thing, but it all comes down to your belief system because it depends on what you really believe happens. If you believe that you know your loved ones are in a place of peace then they certainly wouldn't want you to be sitting around being upset they certainly wouldn't want that they would if they're in a place of peace they would want you to be enjoying your moments they would want you to be enjoying your life and you know it it comes down to not only what you believe but how fully you really believe it because if you truly fully believe that someone is in a place of peace then the sadness you experience is for missing them in this moment, but you kind of want to be really happy for them. Imagine if they were on a trip somewhere and this was your, they were still here, and they would say, hey, I'm going to go visit this place. It's a place I've always wanted to go my entire life. I am so excited. I am going on this trip. And if you didn't see them this holiday because they were on that trip, you'd probably say, hey, but I'm so happy for them. They're on such a trip they've always wanted to be on. Now let's take that to a belief system. If the person you love has passed away, and you believe that they're in a place of peace, then my goodness, how exciting for them. So honoring your loved ones, when you, when you, if you feel like, I've heard this many times before, I've heard, I remember one time specifically in therapy, a woman asked me, she said, I feel like if I'm happy, I'm not honoring my mother's death. And I said, is that what you think your mother would say? She was like, no, my mom would want me to, and it was kind of like really, it was instant. She was like, no, my mom would want me to be happy right now. And when she said it out loud, again, this is one of those instances where when we say something out loud, it changes how we experience it. Because in our minds, we can create these narratives, these really heavy narratives, like I'm doing something wrong by enjoying my life since my loved one is not here. 
That, that internal dialogue can get really deep really fast and it can weigh on you. But when you say it out loud and you go, wait a minute, my loved one would very much want me to be enjoying this moment. In fact, if I really believe they're watching over me right now, I believe they're right here and we're not really gone anyway. We might change forms, but we're not really gone. Now, it depends on what you believe. But if you have a belief system around a different place, a place of peace, a heaven, a nirvana, then embrace that. But also really look into it, because if you really do believe it, then it can impact you. It can radically change your cells, your being. If you really buy into it, um, I think it can be extremely powerful. I definitely believe that we're body, mind, and spirit beings, and we need to take care of our bodies. We need to take care of our minds, and we equally need to feed our spirits. So whatever that is for you... I hope that you're able to find it and look into it because your loved ones certainly want you to be enjoying the holidays. They definitely want that. I th- I, at least that's my belief system is that people who have passed on are in a place of peace and they kind of want those good things for us. So I hope that helps. If you want to talk, 866-391-1020 is the number. We can definitely talk about that. we got some questions I definitely want to get to tonight. Um you know, I want to just go with Barbara as a question. She says, how do you de-escalate passive-aggressive behavior? Barbara, thank you for your question. How do you de-escalate passive-aggressive behavior? Um, this is a really good question. It's funny because I kind of really like that you use, Barbara, that you use the word de-escalate because when we think passive-aggressive, we have a tendency to focus on just the passive part. But the truth is passive-aggression is in fact aggression. It's doing so in a way that seems like, oh, I'm not really being aggressive. So when you de-escalate, it might feel like, oh, this person's already calm, but they're calm, but they're they're aggressive. They're aggressive. So how do you de-escalate them? I think one way is to, Barbara, one way I would say is to call somebody on it. Now, of course, it's how you call someone on passive-aggressive behavior, because you could certainly do it in a passive-aggressive way. Oh, there goes another statement you just said really well. It was passive-aggressive. If you do it in a passive-aggressive way, then you're, you're meet, meeting one for the other. That's not going to help. But one way you can really deal, de-escalate passive-aggressive behavior is what I wrote all about in Walking Through Anger, which is listen, validate, explore options. I think you can call people out and say things directly if you do it from a place of love, not doing it from a place of my ego wants to tell you how you're wrong. See, when we, anytime we operate from ego and I'm going to tell you how you're wrong and how I'm right, I don't really, I think we're going to escalate situations. But when we come at people with genuine curiosity and humility, then we allow them to be, to not feel like they have to defend their position or defend what they're doing. And so how do we make ourselves a safe space so that we can actually have that dialogue? Well, listen, validate, and explore options. And if that seems really, really easy, it's because, A, it is easy to understand, not always so much to practice. It takes effort to practice it. I was hearing somebody say recently, well, this just it's too simple. That sounds too easy. And I said, well, if you want to get in shape, run on the treadmill and do push-ups. Will that get you in shape? And he said, yes, that would get me in shape. And I said, yeah, but that seems too easy. He said, touche, I get your point. Yeah, it might sound easy to listen, validate, and explore options, but of course you've got to actually do it. And in fact, there are ways to listen, validate, and explore options that can be more helpful. So, Barbara, I would say you can call uh, people who are passive-aggressive on, on what they're doing, but call them on it in a way that 
think about what your real message is. Your message isn't if your message is just to prove you're right and they're wrong, that probably won't help awaken them to change that behavior. But if your true goal is to shine light on it and say, hey, listen, can we have a more there's, there must be something I'm doing that's making you feel like you can't say this directly. What what is this really about? What's going on? And what's going on? What's a deeper issue? And then you can have a, a genuine discussion. And if you want to have a discussion about that, eight six six three nine one ten twenty is the number. I'm Dr. Christian Conti. This is Emotional Management on KDKA Radio. I'm grateful that you tuned in and are listening. Please give me a call if you want to talk. 866-391-1020 is the number. I want to go to uh, email questions right now. And this question is uh, was regarding letting things go. And it says, what if the person who hurt me was a narcissist and was aware of the very hurtful things that they continuously said and did? The name on the email says gold medal ribbon. So... Um, gold medal ribbon, thank you for your question. What if the person who hurt me was a narcissist and was aware of the very hurtful things that they continuously said and did? I think it's a great question. Um, here's the deal. First of all, the word narcissism it gets thrown around a lot, especially in relationships, because, look, we all, remember I said about we're all on a continuum. Human behavior is on a continuum. And what happens is, in a relationship, oftentimes we're all self-centered to some extent. But when people hurt each other in a relationship or do something self-centered, oftentimes people, the other person who got hurt, immediately goes to, hey, this person is a narcissist. But that's harsh because to be a true narcissist, to have clinical narcissism, um, can take you to some pretty extreme places. I've seen it, and I've worked firsthand with people struggling with this. I'm not saying that it doesn't happen out there often. Again, everything is on a continuum. But I do always like to make people mindful that if someone hurts you in a relationship, that doesn't immediately make that person narcissist or narcissistic. Um, it does mean that that person wasn't good at that relationship with you, and it does mean that that person was hurtful. But here's the other thing. We have a tendency to believe that when we hurt others, well, we didn't mean to do it, so it really wasn't that big of a deal. But when others hurt us, it was intentional, and they wanted to hurt us. And look, honestly, if this person, if you were in a relationship and this person was clinically narcissistic and was aware of the hurtful things and they continually said and did, um, then I'm hopeful that you're not still in that relationship. Because here's one of the biggest things that happens. We have a tendency when we get into a relationship to think, well, I'm going to make this relationship work. And in theory, that's a nice idea. But when you start to force people into being something that they're not or refuse to see who people have become, then it's like you're not really in the relationship with that person. You're in the relationship with who you want that person to be or who that person isn't. And, and that's, that's not fair to you and it's not fair to the other person. One of the biggest challenges that we all have is to learn to align our expectations with reality. Here's what I mean. If you saw a telephone pole, uh, you wouldn't look at that telephone pole and say, why isn't that telephone pole an elephant? That does just make no sense, right? Why isn't this telephone pole an elephant? 
And if every day you walked outside your house and got upset because the telephone pole wasn't an elephant, at some point you'd have to ask yourself, why do I keep doing this? A telephone pole is, in fact, a telephone pole and not an elephant. Dr. Conti, what the heck does this have to do with anything? Well, here's what it has to do with. If you expect someone to be something they're not, it's no different than expecting that telephone pole to be an elephant. I wanted to make the analogy outlandish because I want it to stick in your mind. If you're dating someone who is super self-centered and doesn't seem to take into consideration your feelings at all, it's probably pretty wise to consider whether or not it's worth you staying in that relationship. If you think, well, if I just tell them what's going on, maybe they'll just change, or maybe they'll just know. That's like saying that telephone pole will just turn into an elephant. So it's important to, A, align your expectations with reality. B, I would say this. I'd be cautious in throwing out um, the word narcissism whenever you are in a relationship with someone. Um, true narcissism is a little bit more rare, like especially to the nth degree. I've seen it a lot. I've seen it a lot in the work I do in maximum security prisons. But unfortunately, that's where a lot of people who are truly clinically narcissistic will end up because they have an inability to really, really focus on others. Now, of course, that's all around us, and we do have a culture of self-centeredness. Just think of our selfie culture. Think of our, our, our me, me, me culture, our entitlement culture. All of that leads to self-centeredness, and that's unfortunate because we are a species that needs each other. We rely on each other. But I, I, instead of rushing to this person as narcissistic, I would st- slow down and say, is this person healthy for me? Because maybe they're not. And if they're not, it's time to step away from that relationship. And no, that's not easy. That's not always easy. But you definitely have a right to not be in a relationship with someone who's consistently hurtful. Um, Here's what I've seen a lot in therapy through the years. People will say, well, they want to bring their partner into therapy so that the therapist will say, you're being hurtful. And what I tell people all the time, when you want that, like, Even if you get that, if that person really is self-centered, that doesn't mean anything to them because they're just going to say, well, he he decided with you. So, again, think about what your ultimate goal is. If your goal is to be in a healthy relationship, a give-and-take relationship, and if you're not getting that, then it's wise to start thinking about, should I really stay in this relationship? I think it's a great, great question. Gold medal ribbon, I appreciate that. Um, I'd love to hear more about it. Again, love when people write in. I'm, I'm so grateful to that. I also love when you call in, too, so we can have dialogue and can go farther than what I project onto the question. But 866-391-1020 is the number if you want to be a part of the show. And, you know, in our second hour, there's going to be plenty of time for us to talk about these different questions, these different issues, and I want you to be able to have that opportunity to talk that stuff out. But I think that... When it comes to this, and I'll just stay on this for one more moment, and that is this. When you think, oh, man, this person is so self-centered, well, then ask yourself why you're staying in that relationship. Now, there's also a difference, too, when you're assessing someone's level of self-centeredness, whether or not it's the moment. Because, listen, confirmation bias is powerful. Confirmation bias is this. When we look for something to be true, then we'll find it to be true. So if I say to someone... This person is super self-centered. Well, I'm going to find instances where that person is self-centered, and I'm going to confirm my belief about that person. 
And so we have to be mindful about our confirmation biases. These are so important. The challenge that we run into with confirmation bias is tons of miscommunication. In fact, I have a great story coming up for you in the second hour on confirmation bias and an interesting, fascinating experience I had this past week because it happens. This confirmation bias, it impacts you. It impacts you in a big way. So we got a whole lot to talk to and talk about in the, in the next hour. And the number is 866-391-1020 if you want to be a part of the show. In the meantime, if you haven't had a chance to go to your local bookstore or order online my new book, Walking Through Anger, I would love for you to check that out. The uh, It is about personal growth. It is about giving you an opportunity to to really look inward and grow and say, how can I become my best possible version of myself? I'm real proud of this book, Walking Through Anger. It's it's will help you confront conflict head on, which is all too often what we're afraid to do. We want to kind of stuff it down. We don't want to deal with it. But when you confront conflict head on and you do it in a way that doesn't escalate it, well, things radically change. We've got a whole lot coming up in the second hour on emotional management. I'm Dr. Christian Conti on KDKA Radio. Dr. Christian Conti, hey, that's me. Welcome to Emotional Management. 866-391-1020 is the number. So I was telling uh, at the bottom of the hour, saying I had this experience where misunderstanding came into play and confirmation bias. I want to set the stage for you. Confirmation bias is the belief that we will find whatever we want to see. If you want to see someone as intelligent, no matter what they say, you'll see them as intelligent. If you want to see them as not smart, no matter what they say or do, you'll find something that helps you see them as not smart. So recently, I so I have this new book, Walking Through Anger, and uh, Sounds True, uh, the publisher, sent out um, some kind of the uh, statements that I, I make in the book, and so they made a kind of a banner statement, on, and they posted it on their Facebook page. And so the statement is, um, so I, I make this statement, and then there's dialogue around it. And I think it's interesting. It's fascinating to watch how people approach information. So here was the statement I, I made. The more you cling to your ideas while others oppose them, the angrier you'll be. That's it. That's the statement. The more you cling to your ideas while others oppose them, the angrier you'll be. So in that statement, the only thing I'm saying is the more you cling to your ideas while others oppose them, the angrier you'll be. What was fascinating is to see some of the dialogue around that statement. Some people, I'll paraphrase, were saying things like, oh, so I guess you're saying no one's ever allowed to get angry again. Um, no. Then there was, uh, I guess you're saying that we should just roll over and be a doormat. Um, no, not saying that either. And then some people say, uh, yeah, a bunch of, a bunch of different statements and it, it kind of caused, there were a lot of, um, dialogue around it. So I definitely love the dialogue. I genuinely feel honored that there's dialogue around something I said. And so I'm grateful for that. I definitely also enjoy seeing the different perspectives. But one of the things that I bring to your attention around it is this. The statement says only 
The more you cling to your ideas while others oppose them, the angrier you'll be. Anything else that is read into that statement doesn't come from me. It comes from the person who's reading into it. So, for instance, the person who suggested that I was saying that no one should ever get angry again, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying, so I made this analogy. I said, listen, if someone comes up to you and says, if you drink caffeine, there's a chance that your heart's going to race a little faster. They're not saying never drink caffeine. They're not saying there should be a ban on caffeine. They're not saying there's something. They're simply saying the more caffeine you drink, the more likely your heart is going to beat a little faster. And in that same way, the only statement I'm making regarding anger with this particular statement is the more you cling to your ideas while others oppose them, the angrier you'll be. And think about that. And maybe you agree with it, maybe you don't, but think about that. If you're really clinging and attached to your ideas, and someone comes along and disagrees with your ideas, they're going to be really upset. How dare you disagree with my ideas? But if you're open and you recognize that new information can come along in any moment that could help shine light in a new area for you, give you a different perspective, if you're genuinely open to that, then when people oppose your ideas, you're not likely going to be very angry because you're going to be open that... Hey, look, there are other perspectives. There are other sides. And I think this is a really important statement. So my book is really meant to target the emotionally charged world that we live in now. People approach conversations very differently. There's a, a sense that the moment people interact, they're bringing tons and tons of their past, tons and tons of their anger, tons of tons of their arguments and they're bringing them to the present moment, so much so that it's difficult to have a discussion. Because of the discussion, I think it's, I think it's very rare that people are asking to have genuine discussions. For instance, people will reach out to me, and they will ask me what I think about something. And when I first started out my career, I was quick to jump in and give an answer. Hey, well, I think about this, or I think about that. What I learned, however, was that people do not want to know what I think about something. They want to know, do I agree with them, whatever they think? And so what I've learned to do through the years is just ask people, tell me what you believe, and then they tell me, and then they just want to know whether or not I agree with them or not. And it happens, it happens a lot, but when you are trying to figure out the anger in the world, it begins with us looking at ourselves. There was a monk, and he carried a mirror with him everywhere he went. And uh, a woman came up to him one day, and she said, I thought you were supposed to be holy. You check yourself out in that mirror all the time. And the monk pulled out his mirror, and he said, All this, I carry this with me wherever I go to remind myself that I am both the source and the solution to my problems. I am both the source and the solution to my problems. See, when we recognize that, it's powerful for us to recognize that. There are a lot of miscommunications that occur. Maybe they occur in your own family system. Maybe you have some miscommunications going on right now. And the first thing we tend to do is strive to be understood. And what I like is the concept of us striving to understand. I think if we seek first to understand, we have a little bit better chance to actually get connected uh, with others. Let's go to uh, the phone lines, and Rebecca, you're on emotional management. What up, it's, it's Rebecca, oh, your, up, Rebecca? Monday even, your Monday evening caller. 
What's Absolutely up? Recovery International. I love it. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. How are you? It's good to have you back. Thank you. I'm glad to be back. I felt like I was gone for a while there. It was about almost a month. Don't worry. We all did, too. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. So, so how are you? Uh, what's going on? Well, I just left the meeting and thought about it. Uh, as soon as I turned on the car, I tuned in, and you were saying about people being open to other people's ideas and thinking, like, when you approach a situation or a conversation, you know, they don't want to hear what you were saying. They want to hear, do you agree with me? Um, I think a realist will strive for peace. And when we go for that symbolic victory with somebody else, whether it's about, you know, the news of the day or how to handle some situation at work or whatever, I mean, you may always think you're right, but, you know, that other person will probably always think they're right, too. So when one person lays down the arms, there is no battle. I tell you what, that's why I, I that's why I love when you call in. You always have great insight. Uh, I, I, I think I'm that telling you, you, it's Recovery International. It's it's so helpful. And when I started listening to you, it was like, wow, this is really so powerful to to be able to have this way of thinking. And you know, you don't do it all the time. You know, you you try, and sometimes I don't I don't have the best um, outcome in how I look at things or how I handle situations, but. You know, I, I, outer environment. Anybody that you want to have a conversation with, that person's outer environment. So, what can we control? Our inner environment. Well, I mean, I think that's so powerful. And here's the deal. You're right. We can't be, we're not perfect at it, but the fact that you, no. you practice it, that's what we really want to do. We want to practice it. I would love to, I want to remember the word you used about the victory, because I think that's such an important I want to, I wish I would. Yeah. What, what did you, could you say no, that again? It's really, it's really good. I learned that through the group, and it was so good. Symbolic victory. Symbolic victory. I, mean, I love that. We can go for a symbolic victory. I may think that the, the sky is blue today, and somebody else may think that it's overcast. And we can go back and forth, and I'm still going to think that it's blue, and I'll probably never get that person to agree, but I could keep going, or I can choose to say, you know what? That's just your opinion, and you're entitled to that. I'm different, and that's okay. I'm Why do we have to prove it, you know? I'm, t I'm telling you, Rebecca, you can call in every Monday night. You can call in every Monday yeah. night. You got a standing invitation. I, hey, listen, I'm going to hit this break, but I really appreciate you. That's awesome. Symbolic victory. I'm going to actually I'm going to, I'm going to bring that back up when we come back. Um, thank you so much. Thank you, Dr. Conti. Thank you. Have a good night. Merry Definitely. Christmas. Thank you. You too. Hey, this is Emotional Management of Dr. Christian Conti on KDKA Radio. We're back on emotional management. I love that intro music. It's just awesome. Gets me pumped up. So I'm so grateful to Rebecca for calling in. I love that. I love her uh, the advice and the thoughts she she has. She gave us a great term to talk about, and that is symbolic victory. Think about that. If you're in an argument with your loved ones, what do you really get if you're right? Hey, eight six six three nine one ten twenty is the number if you want to be a part of the show. 866-391-1020.
But it's such a great point that she brought up, which is a symbolic victory. Think about this. How many people are going to say, oh, my goodness, you were right 17 times last year, and I was only right 11 times, so you win. I mean, is it really about being right? Our ego gets in the way so much. Our ego wants us to make sure that we're right and that others are wrong. And it's worth challenging our egos. So I have a video where I talk about um, relationships. Uh, my wife and I made this video called How to Have a Long-Term Successful Relationship, which isn't too bad. We've been married 19 years. Um, we're, we're pretty darn happy. So I, I think the video is, is uh, it fits. That's a shout-out to my wife. Late happy anniversary. But so anyway, we have this video together, and uh, someone wrote in on the video, and uh, um, her name is uh, Manny, Manny Kala, and she said, What if you're bringing interesting things and your partner is not always interested to your interesting things? Then what do you do? That's a great question. That's a great, great question. What if you're bringing interesting things and your partner is not always interested in your interesting things? Well, first of all, your partner won't always be interested in everything you're interested in, and that's okay because if, if your partner's being genuine, you're going to have some different uh, interests, and that's okay. So I kind of you almost phrase this in a really healthy way to say, what if my partner is not always interested? Well. Well, that's not too bad. Now, if they're not interested very much in what you're interested in, well, that's a whole different ball game. And maybe I'm guessing that that might be what more of what you meant. Like you're trying to bring interesting things, and they don't want to grow. And we see this a lot. Like in a relationship where one person doesn't want to grow, and the other person is there. They're, one person is just kind of stuck the way they are. They're like, "Hey, I'm I am where I am, and I'm not changing my beliefs. I'm not changing anything I think about." Um, and that's where they're going to be. If they're if their partner's similar, you'll probably be pretty happy. But if your partner, if you're growing, if you're learning stuff all the time, well, then it's really difficult to stay with someone who's just not wanting to, to grow. And the challenging thing is not even so much this disconnect, but it's oftentimes the guilt that someone who's not interested in growing puts on the their partner who does want to be growing and, and learning different things because they say well why are you trying to change well because I want to get I want to our whole essence is to continually grow our entire lives so there's a difference between what's called the ego who we think we are and essence who we actually are if you think about an iceberg the ego is the center of the top of the iceberg the part that we see but essence is the center of the actual iceberg, which is often underwater, or analogous to is deep down in our unconscious. So here we go. We have an ego and we have an essence. Our ego likes to be right. Our ego likes to say that it knows the answers. Our ego loves those symbolic victories. But our essence says, I want to connect. I want to connect with someone. And so if you are trying to connect um with your partner and they don't want to connect. It's one thing if they're not interested in something ego, but it's another thing entirely if they're not interested in growing altogether. It's it's important to be able to grow with your partner. So I would say listen, keep I, if you if you really if the answer is if you word it the way you meant it and your partner's not always interested, well that's okay. But if they're rarely or never interested, then I would definitely Try to figure out real soon whether or not that's the right relationship for you. 
because it very well might not be. So handling the emotions around the holidays can be so overwhelming, from maybe from leftovers from Thanksgiving. And I don't mean leftovers from Thanksgiving in the sense of the food. I think the leftovers of the emotional after effects. When you interact with family and they're not the way you wanted them to be, Listen, maybe you're struggling with something like that. 866-391-1020 if you're still dealing with leftovers from Thanksgiving. That sounds clever. I kind of wish I'd have thought of that at the top of the show. But but uh, uh, speaking of Thanksgiving, I didn't get to get this plug in. Uh, my book was translated the day before Thanksgiving. I found out my, my Advanced Techniques for Counseling and Psychotherapy book I wrote back in 2008 was translated into Turkish. So my book was actually in Turkey for Thanksgiving. I wish we had some bump bump on that, but as we are, we're heading into figuring out how do we handle with these leftovers from what what's what you're dealing with in Thanksgiving, from what you're dealing with, and the might you get back together around the Christmas, around Christmas, Hanukkah, when families are getting back together in the holidays, in this holiday season, what are you preparing to deal with? Like for instance, I this is fascinating. I've I've talked to people who only see their family once a year. But they spend the entire year talking about that one get-together. I'm not making this up. I've met people like this, where they literally focus on the people that they don't interact with the entire year. Rather, And then by the time they get back to that family function, it's all built up again because they had this whole thing in their, their minds about the whole year long. Could you imagine, if you're not dealing with something, to not focus on it? So I, I actually used to say this in... Um, to couples all the time, I would say to couples, your personal challenge this week is go ahead and argue, but just argue during the time you're arguing. So in other words, only bo- like, as my analogy was if you're going to box, box while you're in the ring. Don't box, and I don't mean this with couples boxing, <laughs> this is a different analogy, I'm mixing metaphors. But don't box when you're outside the ring. In other words, if you're arguing with your loved ones, and then you walk away, and you, let's say you have a disagreement, and then you say, well, we've been fighting all day, when really, in fact, you haven't been fighting all day, you've had a disagreement, and if you really timed the amount of time you were together interacting and it wasn't going well, it probably was a lot shorter than all day. So sometimes, with just the way we describe what we're dealing with, we change how we interact with it. So if you're thinking, I'm dreading the holidays to go interact with somebody that I don't see eye to eye with in my family, and you're spending a lot of emotional energy way before you even get there, that doesn't make a lot of sense. So I'm asking you to ask yourself, is it worth it to focus on the people you don't get along with when you're not around them? Because if you're not around them, then why focus on them? Why not focus on somebody totally different? Like whoever's in front of you, whoever does bring you peace. You don't want to dread those moments. Life is short. Look, the other thing is this. We often try to make people be something they're not rather than loving them for who they are. When we can love people for who they are rather than try to change them, well, some people say, well, then I have to put up with this or that. Well, yes, we're all human. We're all flawed. And we all come with many different aspects, not just the perfect things that others want. So it's worth it to remember to be patient with your family just as you would be patient with strangers. Oftentimes it's easy for people to be patient with strangers because they like how strangers interact with them and think that they're patient all the time, but the truth is they erupt on their families. 
So the stuff we're trying to deal with, we're trying to deal with for life. That's why this is so important to be able to really look at your life, your emotions, and the way you're handling things. That's why I love doing the show, and I appreciate you tuning in. Listen, 866-391-1020 is the number. That's 866-391-1020. And would love to hear from you. We still have time to talk. 866-391-1020. This is Emotional Management on KDKA Radio. Welcome back, Emotional Management. I'm Dr. Christian Conti. It's your weekly checkup from the neck up. Got a question here from Adam. He said, I'm wondering, how do you handle overreacting to big changes in life without getting angry or worried like crazy, but calmly face the changes head on? Great question, Adam. How do you, hand, how do you handle overreacting to big changes in life without getting angry or worried like crazy, but calmly facing the changes head on. Look, there was a book written in the 1990s called Relaxation Response. And here's what the author argued. He said, just the way we can train ourselves to be to react, just think of martial arts, think of um, protecting yourself physically, we can learn to react. Well, in the same way, his uh, he proposed the idea that we can train ourselves to relax in that same instant that's the same with the same quickness here's the premise if we prepare for something over and over again we're going to be we're going to be ready for it if we don't prepare or we assume that things shouldn't change and this happens a lot we say things shouldn't change and it's, you know what, and there's definitely a normal, healthy fear in life. Fear happens. My daughter sent me a great thing. Uh, what a great image the other day. Um, it, was, it was a meme, and the person is saying, they're, they're like, uh, it's a person leaning over a balcony. But first of all, they're just healthy, just have their hands on the balcony. And it says how I see myself standing on a balcony and then the next picture is that person standing with their feet completely parallel off the balcony facing the ground and it says how my dad sees me when I'm by a rail by a railing and it's so funny because it's so true I'm always like hey stay away from that railing and I'm always worried and, and as a father you it is natural to worry as a parent it's natural to worry um, but at the same time there's a healthy balance with understanding that the world is going to bring us Change. Change is the only constant. And so now, to ask yourself, are you ready to accept the reality that life will change? And when we try to make life stay the same, that's, that's when things break. And it's really the analogy of the um, palm trees. Think about those palm trees. When they bend with those hurricanes, with those storms, and yet they stay because they're able to bend. You know, I, I, I once... Um, heard this analogy the teeth eventually are brittle and break because they're rigid but the soft tongue remains 
That's a good analogy for being able to go with the flow, being able to adapt to change. The more you prepare for it, the better you're going to be ready to, to handle it when it comes. So practicing being comfortable with change, Adam, that's what I would say. Practice being comfortable with change. The more you hold on to things needing to stay the same, well, you're going to be disappointed a lot because the reality is life changes constantly. Now, look, there's a reason why we like to cling to what we know. It's safe. And if we have a good moment, if we have a good experience, then when things change, we feel like we're losing that that moment or that experience. And the reality is that moment is lost because moments only lost moments only last momentarily. And then they are over. So trying to make something last longer than what it is lasting is living in what I call that cartoon world. That's the way the world... It should be longer. It should stay like this. Our relationship should stay the same. One of the biggest barriers that really inhibits happy couples occurs when couples... When one or more partner says... Either one or both partners say they're trying to make the other partner stay the same... That is a big issue in so many relationships. And the people say, well, you've changed. Well, yes, I really hope so. I hope that you change your whole life. I hope you adapt and grow and change your whole life. Adam, I hope that for you. I hope that for me. I hope that for all of us, that we adapt and change and, and grow our whole lives. So change is not such a negative. In fact, it's in, in, it is an inevitable process. So remember one of the biggest lessons that I share is that we master what we practice. If we practice trying to make things stay the way they always were, we're going to get really good at letting ourselves down because the world is inevitably changing. So I want to go to this next question from Mike. Mike says, um, I like the, I love the concept. I fully agree with the concept to meet people where they are. But how do you distinguish between not getting it and blatant insubordination. For example, I asked my boy, he's three and a half, to pick up his army guys and other toys in order to get some screen time, Subway Surfers. Oh, I remember that game. He doesn't seem to understand that one leads to the other, but then occasionally he will pick up the toys without me asking and say, can I play my tablet now? Any advice would be great. Mike, thank you so much for your question. It's a great, great question. Look, your son is three and a half years old, and here's the deal. We have a tendency to believe that our kids, once they learn something, they should have it. They should have that lesson. I shouldn't have to say it again, but that's not reality. Reality is sometimes we have to say things a thousand times, a hundred thousand times, whatever it is. Just think about your own life. I'll think about my life. There are things that I know, but I still don't do. So, for instance, like, I remember I'll drink an energy drink. You know, my wife gets me these clean energy drinks, and the, the good ones that are healthy for me are, are good for me, and then that's great, but then later in the day, if she's not around or I'm somewhere else, and I grab an energy drink. Now, I know that's not good for me, but I still drink it. So, couldn't someone easily look at me and say, you know right from wrong, you know that's not good for you? Well, yeah, I do, but I'm still reaching for it. And the same is true for all of us. But then when other people do something, and we believe they should get the lesson, we get really short patience with them. What I say is if someone is not doesn't have the lesson, especially our children, especially your, your little boy, if he doesn't have the lesson yet, it means he doesn't have it yet. 
what's cool is that you can see that he's starting to get it. He's starting to make that connection. The challenge isn't with what he's doing. The challenge is, I think, for you to be able to reframe how you see what he's doing. I would say it's a heck of a, of what a wonderful thing that your young three-and-a-half-year-old can start to link that together. So he's picking stuff up and recognizing that there's a, a reward with that. I, I would challenge your use of the word blatant insubordination, because think about what that is. Blatant insubordination means basically he's standing there saying, screw you, I'm not going to do what you're saying. And that's almost like malicious. But a three-and-a-half-year-old isn't malicious. He simply wants what we all want, which is to maximize pleasure and minimize pain. That's pretty reasonable. That's pretty reasonable. We want to maximize pleasure, minimize pain. And at three and a half years old, why would you want to clean up? Like, it doesn't make sense. You just want to have ple- you just pleasure, let me have fun, throw stuff around. So it's our job as parents to teach our children that responsibility. And it sounds like you're doing that. You are definitely doing that. So now the question is, can you reframe how you see his behaviors in terms of he's just learning and you're teaching? Because when you do that, your patience increase, I mean, like a thousandfold. So my rule of thumb was this as a father from day one. I, if it takes me 10 million times to tell my daughter something, I'm okay with that. Because in this incarnation, I'm her father. And if I see myself as needing to say something 10 million times, then at no point before I reach 10 million am I going to lose my patience. Because I say, you know what? It's okay. I just need to say it again. Let me say it differently. Maybe the way I'm saying it isn't working. So let me teach, let me teach you differently. But I own that responsibility. Just like that monk in the mirror, I am the source and the solution to my problems. I think, look, you're doing an awesome job, Mike. Appreciate you so much. Appreciate you writing in. Here's what my challenge for you. Look at your son as, you know, welcome to the world. It's gonna, some lessons are going to take a while to learn, buddy. And, and I'm going to be here to teach you and teach you with love and patience. And I'd love for you to check out my book, Zen Parent, Zen Child, Mike. Zen Parent, Zen Child is all about if we want our children to be Zen, we've got to be Zen ourselves. Zen Parent, Zen Child. You can get that on Amazon um, and, of course, my new book. If you're going to be buying books for Christmas and you're thinking, what do I buy somebody? Walking Through Anger. <laughs> so excited that you're with me tonight. The number is 866-391-1020. There will still be time to talk on the show. Give me a call, 866-391-1020. I'm Dr. Christian Conti on KDKA Radio. So, I'm Dr. Christian Conti, and this is Emotional Management. Let's go to the phone lines. Uh, Sam from Monroeville, you're on Emotional Management. Um, how are you tonight? I'm doing um, well. My question is this. It, it, you know, Entropy being the leading source of all things in this world and not to be avoided, um, I find that change, beginning the process of change, is the most difficult thing, and I wonder if you don't have maybe some suggestions as, as to you know, inspire our children to the idea of not stagnating but always allowing for the principle of change. So how does one start 
the principles of change? I, oh, that's such a great, great question. I think to me, I, I, if when we start with young children, like we, we did this with our daughter a lot. Like we would start with just having stuffed animals. At, if we're talking about real young children, like the young, the man, young, uh, the father Mine who wrote seven it. and twelve. Seven. Okay, so seven and twelve. I mean, you could do this with stuffed animals, but you could also act it out with characters if they like, if they have uh, characters where you kind of play out this role, but with the toys, so that they can see it as the toys, not experience. Like you're not telling them; you're just kind of telling a story. But the story is about the characters adapting to change. For instance, one character says. I don't want things to change and tries really hard, like, say, not to age or not to grow. Um, but they can't help it because they are going to get older. They are going to grow. Um, and the other one is adapting to it. And then kind of sh- having your kids talk about that. Like, what do we do with this character who's saying, I can't change? And the other one going, let me adapt to it. And then having so them the see it. So it becomes a role play. Yes, yes, Exactly. And, and 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 then they're seeing it too. See, the one thing I like about doing the visuals for kids is when they project it onto their toys, they're not they're they don't even realize you're teaching a lesson. They're just right. incorporating that, going, "Oh, that makes sense." If so and so is trying not to age, of course they're going to age. How how do we handle that now? So then you can actually you have think the dialogue. That same idea works with adults. I do. No, 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 no. And I think you're right. Yes, it does. It, and I do that actually. So what I do is just basically the exact wording you use. I call it role play, and I say let's play out these two scenarios. Let's play out a scenario where you stay stuck in the position you're in, and let's say I well sometimes with people I'll say let's fast forward. It's ten years from now, and you're still stuck in this moment. How does that feel? Tell me what that feels like. What are your thoughts like? And then we'll fast forward 10 years and say, you adapted to it. You changed. What are your thoughts? What does that look like? So uh, That's very interesting. It's powerful because we don't, we don't tend to think of our future selves in the moment. But when we take the time to role play, we can think about our future selves. Right. See, I've been trying to get across to my kids the principle of entropy because, like I said, entropy is the ruling force of everything. I mean, all things change all the time. There's just no way around it. Yeah. Um, so you either kind of welcome it in or you beat your head against it. And, you know, as kids, obviously, you know, beating your head against things is to some degree the natural tendency. Um, <laughs> You're right. <laughs> but at the same time, they're also very curious. So if one can, you know, put the right idea, picture, shine a light in the right corner kind of principle, then they sometimes get it. Uh, without that having to say it like a million times, you know, instead you maybe only say it, you know, a quarter of a million times. <laughs> right, right. Um, <laughs> and, 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 and you, but to, what's nice is to be able to hear in your, I can hear your voice, you have that kind of patience for your kids. But uh, what reason why I, I even say, well, the reason why I even like joke and say a million or ten million is because I really want parents who don't have patience to hear, well, wait a minute, if I expected to do this a million times, then I'm not going to be upset when I say it a hundred times or realistically oh, twelve times, you know. <laughs> It's just endless. Yeah, right, it is. It's, it's parenthood. It's parenthood. We have a lot to teach our kids, and I know I still have a lot to learn from, from my parents. So <laughs> I think yeah, it's a never-ending yeah, yeah, cycle. Definitely. If I'm not learning one new thing at least every day, then, then I'm probably dying, and I don't feel like I'm dying yet, so I must be learning something new. That's awesome. Um, That's awesome. I love your call, so, and I appreciate this questions because... You know, when you when you can proactively role play this stuff, either with toys or just just having them act it out. So one thing I used to do in my therapy office is I had a I would have different chairs and I would make one chair represent 
whatever I wanted the person to think about, and another chair. Oh, so, in sure. other words, hey, this is your future self who resisted change. Sit in this chair and talk to me as though this is who you are. And then when you leave that chair, and honestly, Sam, I've, didn't, I've done that, and then there have been times when people walk in and they see that chair that they role-played that they didn't like it, and they're like, I'm not sitting in that. I'm like, that's why I have multiple <laughs> chairs in here, because I obviously made you have a bad association with this chair now. But uh, oh, Well, that's not necessarily a bad thing, though, because as you said, you've made an impression, and that little bit of an imprint immediately brings up that thought again, and they go right back to that moment and go, yeah, yeah, I, I've, I've been there. No, we're not going there again. <laughs> right, right. Uh, Except I was telling you, cool. I have to say, I was doing in-home therapy one time uh, many years ago, and I, and as this woman, I was having her do this role play in her kitchen, and when she went to look at her kitchen, she was like, well, I don't want to not like my table. And I said, you're right. Let's face the garbage compactor, and that will be the this outcome you don't like. And so that's how we kind of salvaged it, because I was like, she was like, I don't want my, I don't want to hate my dining room table i'm like you're right yeah that's, that's exactly right that's classic that's beautiful i love it uh, that's awesome i'll say well I, I thank you very much for your answer i appreciate it very much I, i'm glad i called i just caught the last like half hour of your show and it was like wow that's a very interesting thing and having two children that you know i, I do try and be patient but you know my my one is coming into the age where patience and difficult are not necessarily going to be in the same breath um because as hormones rage, they tend to be a little bit more difficult until they can think straight again when they're 19 or 20. Um, <laughs> right, right. Remember Mark Twain said how, how much his father learned from the time he was 17 to the time he was 21. <laughs> he was very oh impressed with how much his father learned. But listen, I appreciate your call so much, Sam. I hope you could tune in again in the future. Uh, we're here every I Monday night. Outstanding. I'll definitely tune you again. Thank you very much, and have a nice holiday. Definitely. Thank you, too. Thank you so much. What a great call, Um uh, it's so true, and I love I love thoughtful parents and being able to be proactive and role play this stuff in life is so 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 important. Um, I appreciate you taking time. I know you have a lot of options to listen to many different things, so to take the time to listen to the show is an honor. I appreciate that so much. I'm Dr. Christian Conti, and this is Emotional Management on KDK Radio. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.